how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Emmeline Kowaleski is a sober queer feminist writer, director, and facilitator working towards collective healing, transformation, and liberation. They are on a mission to dismantle the oppressive forces that prevent us from being and being seen in the wholeness of our humanity. A theater maker by training, Emmeline writes in a blend of disciplines including plays, performance pieces, poetry, essays, and is currently working on a creative nonfiction book about the history of sex-segregated bathrooms in the United States. Oh, la, 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 Lily. Let me first commend you on your incredible reading of biographies without stumbling <laughs> over words. <laughs> I would have just been there like... Was, <laughs> there was a lot in that, Owen. Um, you know what's the only thing when we're in podcasts? Sex and sexuality, for some reason, is really hard for me to say back-to-back because I often get that question to ask people about their sex sexuality but anyway well, you just I didn't stumble too much over that so <laughs> <laughs> they were the most impressive uh amazing person oh my god what a treat this was like um we hope that you love this episode of sober sex as much as we love recording it it's so like loving and educational and yes. playful and sweet so please enjoy Emmeline Kowaleski on sober sex <laughs> Welcome, Emmeline, to Sober Sex. Um, firstly, ah! <laughs> <laughs> got attacked by your mic. By my mic, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lily, can you take the first question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Sorry. so first things first. What are your pronouns? They them. Awesome. And well, we want to be conscious, especially as cis women, of not just doing some kind of politically correct box ticking with that question. Um, and really attempting like genuine curiosity there, or otherwise, why would we have a podcast? So to dive into the deep end immediately, what is your experience of gender or lack thereof today? Oh, um, you know, easy, easy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when, whenever I'm asked to, um, explain or like talk about my experience of my gender I sort of like skirt it (laughs) by there's this poem I wrote um a couple months ago that I think like really encapsulates like how I feel about my gender on most days um and it goes if if gender is a galaxy then my gender is a star that has not been named yet I arrive at its name perhaps by naming it imperfectly over and over again um and I love (laughs) Yeah, I think like I'm I'm always leaning into some variation of gender free, gender fluid, free of gender, um, yeah. transcendence <laughs> every day. Awesome. So 
just out of curiosity, as someone who does um, identify in a more fluid way, how do you yeah. feel about the question of what your pronouns are? Is that something you like to hear, or is that something that's a little like, uh, why do we need to do? What is what comes up for you around that question? I think for me, as someone who uses they them pronouns, but is also someone who you would meet and would generally, and I. I feel like I can say this, although sometimes people do automatically gender me as them. Um, I'm automatically gendered as a, a woman, um, as she, her. And so having the pronouns is like a linguistic way of communicating and like setting up right off the bat, like actually the assumption that might be present in the room here is not correct. Mm. I like, um, so the foundation. So for me, it's actually really helpful and I enjoy it. I enjoy when, um, that, uh, that question is at the top of the conversation. Um, and like, you know, my gender is like gender is way more complicated than program, uh, pronouns can ever encapsulate as you alluded to. That's a great answer. I love that. Thank you for for sharing that. Because yeah, I wondered, as someone who you know is she her. By the way, hi she her. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think I haven't known you know as someone who uh, you know doesn't necessarily identify as what might be obvious on the surface. You know, like or people who might identify differently than one might expect by visual images alone or whatever it is. I've wondered if that is a question that that most would rather not be asked or most would rather be asked because I just sort of wonder like is that an important first thing to establish about a person and communicating with them or is it um is it sort of not as important if that makes any sense I don't know like totally I think it's going to be different for anyone for and like yeah yeah I you know I feel like there are there are people for whom like pronouns are not the thing <laughs> they're not right. as important and they're a reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people for whom they're really like, they're really important and it's a framework. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes too, like will clarify um, depending on where I am, like when I'm entering the conversation, um, I'll say I use they, them pronouns. I'm non-binary because <laughs> I've noticed um, which is also, you know, like a, a umbrella term <laughs> that like right, has right. a lot of nuance inside it. But like, I will use that because I've noticed that in some spaces that I'm in, the vocabulary for pronouns actually hasn't been established at all. And so me yeah. saying I like I use they them pronouns has relatively no meaning. <laughs> People are just like what? Okay. <laughs> People are just like okay. <laughs> I'm like, and so I have to be like yes, this is what that means. Or like sometimes like I will double down and be like, I'm not a woman. <laughs> like That's right. what that means. <laughs> like, right. um, depending on if that, if that feels necessary. That's that awesome. Like, to be able to be kind of read the room, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> on your yeah. part, like how yeah. much do I have to clarify in this instance? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I mean, like that must be, do you, do you notice that once you clarify that, that you, people treat you differently? Um, I don't know if it's perceptible enough. I think Mm -hmm. that, um, yes, like I have, you know, I have spaces that I inhabit where they're 
predominantly cis women in that space and like for whatever reason like that space is really important to me and so I choose to enter it um, like over and over again um and like there is a sort of it's hard to know if it's like it is actually in the space or I create it I put it in the space of like a feeling of Mm. otherness of like I like I'm not like the moment that I clarify um you know, I'm not a woman or I'm non-binary, um, that that places me in, in a separate category. And sometimes I'm asking for that, right? Like, cause I'm saying like, Hey, please don't use ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like that's not, I don't, I don't jive with that word. <laughs> right. Um, and that creates this sort of like, you know, this underlying thing that we all thought that we were coming in the room with this, like, Mm. commonality. And I I find that especially, not all the time, but especially in, like, spaces where it's, like, women and non-binary people, but actually they mean AFAB. (laughs) And, like, actually they mean, like, we're just considering you, like, under the umbrella Mm. um, here. Uh, There is sometimes that dynamic of, like, well, you're like the the like I'm either like blending or I'm like purposely being like no, I am other, and I think right. neither feels entirely comfortable, <laughs> um, as one can imagine. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think that that's like sorry to kind of like hurl the conversation immediately into like non-binary question hour. <laughs> like that's not the whole conversation. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> But no, yeah, no, go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say we bring it up just because it's a conversation we've been having off the podcast yeah. where I, I was kind yeah. of asking, is that an important question to start with? You know, does it feel like a, are we setting a framework to understand someone when really we should be broadening the, the vision of the, you know, and not having to use that? Or is it really helpful? And as Louisa said at one point, like, is it really helpful because people haven't had a chance to share, you know, to uh, identify what their pronouns are to others, you know, and that that would be a really great platform to do it, you know, so we had a lot of discussions. So yeah. it wasn't, we weren't intending <laughs> to have this. We were just like, oh my God, this is someone who is speaking yeah. to this beautifully for a second. So let's ask yeah. their opinion because it is, it's all, you know, something that I think we want to understand and, 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 you know, do the right thing, but also not be doing the box taking of asking the question. So it's good to know your experience with it. Sorry, Louisa, I did not mean to cut you off. So go ahead. No, not at all. I mean, I, cause I, I think that like, again, especially as like cis women who do is in, especially in the context of recovery kind of create mm. quote unquote, like ladies only like women's stag or whatever. And like yeah. how to kind of create, you know, like more inclusivity in that area to be able to kind of not like, uh, I don't know make the dynamic one where you say, you know, you're, it's either blending or consciously not blending and both feel like shit. Like how, so I mean, cause it's like, we, we're socialized to kind of categorize. And at a certain point that's insufficient, like (laughs) there's more nuance, like there is more than the binary. So how do we kind of like cultivate, you know, curiosity and and affection with that as opposed to just like, well, now we're all uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, I'll just say that, like, I appreciate being given the space to elaborate on gender and, like, to not have, you know, the question about it um, just end at pronouns, mm-hmm. um, which is a very, a very welcome space. Um, and I'll say, like, in the context of recovery, I think that was something that I 
struggled with um, when I was first, when I was in recovery and I was like finding which meetings worked for me and like would go to like the meeting that where it was like goddesses in recovery and or like whatever it was going to be and like ask our non-binary people welcome here and then be the only one in the room and feel that tension and also like be in the first moments of really claiming uh, my pronouns and my identity at the same time and I think it was in a way like it was super uncomfortable but it also taught me a lot like it was one of the ways that I actually still continue to like to navigate my gender and like what actually does make me feel um safe and seen and held in a space where I'm that's designed for me to feel that way um and what choices I'm I'm making and like lately it's usually going to meetings that are um all gender and specifically queer um that makes generally makes things simpler (laughs) understandably (laughs) no but that's that's really helpful that love like I think that kind of north in in from wherever one is coming from like how do we create a sense of helping others feel safe and seen and held within the environment in which we are existing, like especially, especially recovery, but like really everywhere. <laughs> like, and that, again, like I think that this could be kind of, I don't know, deemed by some, <laughs> some evils of the world, like a snowflake conversation where we're like, we can't feel so safe and seen and held all the time. But I'm like, why not? <laughs> I mean, like, why not have that as an intention of interaction and like see where it goes? Cause it, this is like <laughs> really helpful and really nice. So thank you for kind of expounding yeah. with us. Absolutely. Um, so how are you? <laughs> where are you coming from today? How am I? I'm doing well. Yeah. I've had a, a really lovely morning. Um, I had a, a good writing morning, which always sets my day off. Well, um, I'm calling in from Philadelphia, uh, unceded land of Philanape people. Um, and, uh, I haven't been outside yet, <laughs> but it seems cold. <laughs> Indeed. Great. <laughs> and how has your experience of the last couple years of COVID been where you are? Um, well, I, <laughs> I moved in the middle of COVID. So, um, there's been a lot of change, um, and a lot of roller coaster rides in COVID, um, that are difficult to encapsulate. Like I think when, when COVID first started, I was, working full-time at a venue in New York, and I was earning my master's in uh, women's and gender history, and um, had to finish that <laughs> in May of 2020. And so I was like deeply, deeply in survival mode um, for the first few months, for sure, of that. And then um, some things in my life combusted and (laughs) which sort of like prompted the need uh to I think do what men maybe like take the space that many had taken when the um pandemic first hit or that some had time to take which I just didn't feel like I had um to 
uh, focus on my healing and make a ton of changes in my life. And one of them was moving out of New York. Um, I know change is a, <laughs> a tenuous topic when it comes to recovery, but um, I did. Um, and uh, I think like, yeah, just like re restructure a whole lot of things. And so for me, I think it's been, um, uh, it's been a slowing and an awakening and um, a deeply painful, <laughs> fraught time <laughs> and so many things and joyful um, and joyful time as well in, in like in getting to do things like um, experience new practices of healing and uh, experience gender euphoria and proclaim my identity and, and all of these things. So exciting. And yes, like <laughs> sounds challenging. I mean, you know, they have, you know, they say like no major changes in the first, you know, period of recovery, however that long, long that is. And then they're also like, the only thing that has to change is everything. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like, it's like you made a, made a nice It sounds like spot. a riddle, a riddle <laughs> to figure out. It's so funny. You yeah. know, I was just thinking when we used to ask this question um, before and it was like, how's COVID been for you? Now it just feels like COVID has just become life. Like now it's just yeah. like, there is like in the first like year, it's so funny. Cause I remember thinking like, it was really like, wow, what's it been like? And now it's just like, I feel like it's all just migrating together. Yeah. Don't you, don't you feel that way? <laughs> I mean, yes. Depressing, but. Well, I mean, it, you just kept getting longer and then we were like, how's the last year? How's the last months? How's the last, and we're like two years, where are you at? <laughs> Oh my God. Would you have believed in March, 2020, if they told you, I remember they were like, this might not resolve until the fall. And I was like, Oh my fucking God. Kidding? <laughs> and now here we are in 2022. What's up? And oh, man. It's crazy. Oh, oh, God. God. Oh, life. Yeah. Oh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's like such a genuine, like, I hate this. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> it's evolving. It's unfolding. <laughs> it's reality. <laughs> um, um, so we got in touch, as we mentioned, when we reached out to you, is that a grand sponsee, shout out M, we know you're listening, sent over your article um, from Salty entitled Beyond the Whiskey Woman, Bidding Goodbye to Alcohol and Gender. And this was like a wonderful, wonderful read. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of what brought you to write that piece? Because I think that that like, <laughs> you basically like are the perfect sober sex guest. <laughs> um, I'm glad you felt that way. That piece, um, I think it came out, it, it came out of a lot of feelings that I was having. I was um, in early, and still am, um, in early 2021, was doing a lot of research um, on uh, um, late, 19th century, early 20th century feminism and like links to um, purity and temperance and like thinking about um, constructions, particularly of white womanhood um, in terms of this like uh, chaste, pure, um, sober, <laughs> uh, or like pure person who abstains from alcohol and sort of like the backlash to that. Um, being like, ah, then like the, like the opposite of that um, construction of womanhood is like someone who um, 
someone who just like drinks all the time and sleeps with whoever they want or whoever's in front of them or whatever. <laughs> like, like and Jessica Rabbit <laughs> slash Annie O'Queen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know, no in between, right? Like that's just like we go from here to there. And I was thinking about like in in the context of like how I feel about um like where I am with my gender and my sobriety, like how is all of this sort of like formed and helped guide my conception of um, uh, how I feel about my gender and like what sort of, like what was driving, I think a lot of the things and like a lot of how I was performing womanhood mm-hmm. um, in the context of like drinking culture <laughs> or like in, in a culture of, um, of like in that sort of like way of like I am the whiskey woman and I'm cool and sexy and like I can drink as much whiskey as you and like I'm chill and like whatever no strings <laughs> like all of which are actually like totally fine and completely inauthentic to my being so um which is like something that I got to discover <laughs> when I stopped drinking and uh yeah, that was a, a winding answer to your question, but those were some of the things that were floating around. No, that's really helpful, actually, because I think, you know, as a cocaine addict, like, I was very offended when people were like, you're just a coke slut, you're just a party girl. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Even though, like, yes, totally. Um, and it's it was nice to kind of reflect on, like, what kind of, in order to kind of keep up with, alcoholism or addiction like what is the performance you know including Mm. that of gender because I'm like Lily I think yours was also really specific and antithetical to like (laughs) who you are yes or I mean perhaps like you know this is all actually valid parts of us but not like the number one (laughs) to present right like yeah totally yeah I think it's like an ex yeah oh no no I was just gonna say I feel like you know, they talk in our literature about like this thing of like instincts that go awry, like, you know, or instincts that are sort of enlarged or exaggerated. Um, and I feel like that's sort of what it was for me when I was there. There were instincts for these kind of things, but it was just so out of proportion, you know, and just so sort of thrown off by, by you know, chemical everything that I think like mm-hmm. it really was like, like, to me, like things around sexuality were like really dear, cherished, like tender, nice things, but then they just mm-hmm. got inflated by ego and chemicals and crazy. And, and then it was like, it became, mm-hmm. it took on a life of its own that was not true to me, but it came from a seed of something that was true to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I deeply feel that. I mean, I think there's a lot, there was a lot in like, what I was searching for or striving for or what I was after, like that yeah. is authentic to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like sexual liberation, like that's an ideal that I hold that I like, but it's just like, how am I embodying that? And like, yeah. what are the choices that I'm making? And are they actually like, is that, am I finding liberation or am I finding like some manufactured like version that um, I've been, maybe presented like I'm I'm mistaking for liberation or it's been presented to me like it should be um etc absolutely 
Oh, that's really yeah. fascinating, especially because like you do a lot of like your your kind of metier is theater, right? So it's like insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as a performer, it's like yeah. what what is like the authentic part here, and what is the kind of like identity I'm putting on as as the capital P performer, and like what yeah. enables me to kind of occupy that space authentically versus like you know masking my deep insecurity or not knowing who I am, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of, it seems like that for you and many of our friends in recovery, that the like the self honesty required to stay sober really demanded, it, like, kind of claiming gender and identity, or like releasing yourself from the, as you said, the whiskey woman. Um, like, how did that? How did that kind of unfold? Because I, as I recall in your article, yeah. it was kind of stopping drinking kind of forced this confrontation almost no yeah it was I think there there was like a balance when I was writing it of like how to communicate that I like my my conversation with my gender is it was something that had been like I'd been in conversation with myself um with that while I was still drinking um but I was doing it silently and I was like internet searching like (laughs) concepts instead of talking to people um and I was I was playing with my pronouns um but I wasn't claiming them I wasn't like uh I hadn't like I hadn't really said to many people at all um you know I'm non-binary and like I think like around July of 2020 is when I um, stopped drinking. And around that time, um, like maybe a month before, I started seeing the my current therapist. And I remember being like going to her and saying like, this is something that's true about me. Um, I'm non-binary <clears throat> or I think I'm non-binary. Um, I'm looking to explore that in therapy. And I think what the the quitting drinking did was it both allowed me space to be with that because I had to have, like, there was so much space where I had to honestly be with all of my emotions. Yikes. <laughs> the horror. And, <laughs> the horror. Um, and, uh, like, I, I also could could sit with that and explore that. And I, I think, like, as I mentioned in my article, there was this piece of it, too, where, like, I had spent or I've spent a lot of my life um, like sort of going to people and asking, who am I? Like, Mm -hmm. who am I? Tell me who I am. And um, whatever you say, I'll believe you, Um, Mm -hmm. like in various ways. And there was a moment or like there was sort of this process for me of going like, I don't actually give a shit like I don't give a shit what you think I am (laughs) like I know it I know it it's this like can I claim it and 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 if you resist that also can I like be strong enough in my authentic understanding of self to to let that be the case like Mm -hmm. to not have to shrink myself or change myself to fit your understanding of me which is really I think what what the major thing I got through, um, through sobriety was, um, 
and through being in the like uh, adjacent recovery program that I'm in. That's awesome. That's wow. so ferocious. Like in in that the the like language that you use about it, like how do I kind of hold the ground of self, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well. So you also talk about how active alcoholism or addiction makes it challenging to kind of authentically name and embody desire or romantic connection or communicate it all around that stuff in a real way. So this subject always conveniently pivots us with grace into our classic sober sex anchor question, which is what were some of the first messages you received around sex and sexuality? Yeah. Um, Keep it oh. light. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think in my like early um, coming into my sexuality, um, I was really, I was awkward and I was not necessarily like, I had a lot of friends who were always dating <laughs> and like always, <clears throat> all like from, you know, middle school to high school and like in the, um, in that sort of period of life. Um, and I, like, that was not my life. I just, like, you know, I went um, alone to prom twice. And, like, uh, and I, I was really in this, and yet I deeply craved that. Like, I deeply craved relationship, romantic relationship. I deeply craved sexuality, like, being able to explore sexuality. Um, with another person and because uh, it didn't really occur to me to like <laughs> like explore it with myself in like any way shape or form um, and so a lot of like my early a lot of my early like messages I think w that I got were like I'm not um like, I have to be sexy. I want to be wanted. I want to be, like, I, and it was about, like, sexuality was about being desired rather than mm -hmm. um, desiring. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, and there was also, like, messages that I received um, to, like, throw my mom under the bus. I, I love my mom. <laughs> but I <laughs> distinct distinctly remember this conversation where like I was uh driving I used to like go on long drives when I was like 16 or 17 with this boy quite to be fair to my mother I did have a crush on and um we and she like stops me one day in the kitchen and she's like what's going on between you and this person and I, like eventually there was something but there wasn't at the time um and I was like, what are you talking about? Nothing. And like, she like wanted to have a like safe sex conversation with me, I think authentically. But what, what the conversation sort of ended in was like, well, I just want to make sure that you're respecting yourself. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I think about that. Like, I think about that. And especially like in the, in a lot of like the histories of how we've been taught to behave around sexuality of sort of like that respecting yourself and like being a sexual human being and exploring your sexuality are antithetical one mm -hmm, to one another. Right. And so I was like, especially in my twenties, I was like, well, fuck that. Like that's bullshit. <laughs> like, and yeah. so I did like everything to resist that. Um, 
And yeah, again, like coming back to this place of like, okay, but what is actually like authentic to if I'm out of that or like if I, if I'm trying to, to get out of that mindset and I'm trying to get out of the mindset of I'm just out here to be desired rather than desire Mm. to desire, like what is possible for me, um, in terms of sexuality. Mm, That's so interesting. I feel like what you're saying, like, you know, the, the assumption being that like disrespecting yourself would be engaging in anything, which sort of connects back to a really Puritan idea of how we are supposed to behave as women. And, and also that we're the kind of ones holding the keys to things and it's it's yeah. on us to sort of open the door or not. And I just, it's interesting because I also think about that, like there is a generational component to this. Like those are messages I received. I also received messages around, you know, like, that, or not even for, for me to act on, but I remember there, my mother's generation or my grandmother's generation, there was an element of sort of dangling it over here. And then, you know, eventually, you know, and the guy say, you know, saying, come on, baby. And the girl saying, you know, no, no, no. You know, all of this old stuff that's just like, it's super old school, but I'm sure said with the best of intentions, but just not the, the, we're, we're thinking about it differently these days. And I love, you know, this idea that like, it's, that is not a binary in terms of like respecting yourself can actually go with, doing whatever you want sexually, you know? And like, (laughs) I love that idea. And, but even as like, for me as a kid, it felt like I was, you know, there was this element or at least for me, a mental element of just thinking like, if I do this thing, then I'm bad or, you know, Mm. and that's just so nice to hear the way that you're moving away from, you know, and that you're saying like, we can have both those things can exist. We can respect ourselves and do the, you know, the, whatever we want. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think that like inherent to a lot of 12 step programs because they are quote unquote spiritual in nature and because so much of the kind of foundational information is like, you know, borrowed from a very Judeo-Christian mentality, this idea of like purity culture, even though they're so like, you know, in the 1930s, like a bunch of dudes fucking writing like the the idea of a sex inventory is really pretty cool. Mm. Right. But like, true. I mean, pretty revolutionary, even though they might have been full of shit. <laughs> They're like, straight pepper diet for me, kids. But um, that, that, you know, I think I, I'm so grateful that I kind of discovered, like, kink later in life. Because mm. I think that, like, there was so much energy in, um, in exactly what you're talking about. And, like, being like, oh, no, like, this is my desire. I'm naming it. I'm owning it. I'm getting to express it, like as opposed to trying to kind of be like inheriting ideas of purity culture that weren't even mine. Like my family is really not religious at all, but just Mm -hmm. because I thought that like, if one is like, if a higher power is my like North star of how I want to be operating in the world, then I can't possibly be this, like I can't possibly have erotic energy as a high priority. (laughs) For myself. Yeah. 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 And it's like, actually, that's bullshit. Like, what kind of God do you want to fucking believe in? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Um, And there's like eroticism in spirituality. And like, you know, there's that Nadia. Nadia Boltzweber, who's like a rad Lutheran minister, wrote this beautiful book called, I forget. (laughs) Uh, I won't put it in the show notes because I never do anything for the show notes. But um, where she talks about kind of like sexuality's war with the church from an angle Mm. of kind of being a like 
hyper hyper liberated but super spiritual and it's like a history of of purity culture and it's so fucked <laughs> so highly yeah. recommend anything by nadia Baltweber. um, um so- i actually have one side note question that kind of takes us back to yeah. early early moments but when you were talking about these rooms where you might go in and people wouldn't have the language around they them and or whatever it is, I was imagining that these are also rooms where people might be confused about gender and how it connects to sexuality. Mm. And I feel like you often hear people who don't understand non-binary who will say, who will think that that means something about sexuality. And I'm sure, I don't know, I could assume that you've encountered that. And so I'm just asking for listeners that might not be sure, you know, do those two things connect for you? Is there any correlation between your gender identity and your sexuality or are those two completely independent things? Totally. I think, you know, in terms of like, like the, um, educator in me wants to be like, they're separate, like (laughs) different, like gender expression, gender identity, sexual identity are separate. Um, because we like, you know, um, because they are. That often gets confused. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And they often get confused. And I've, I've definitely, um, experienced like have like beginning a conversation about gender and then sort of ending in sexual orientation and being like, how did we get here? (laughs) Um, uh, for me, um, they are related in my experience in so far as some sexual experiences that I have had have taught Mm -hmm. me about my gender. Um, like, and I think that they are not inherent. It's not like, oh, I'm right. having the sexual experience, so therefore I am not binary. But there mm-hmm. was like a moment, like in experience or moments and experiences that I've had that have like helped me understand different facets of myself. Um and uh like I will I will name, I think um particularly I'm uh, I identify as bisexual, and by that I mean like have go- the capacity to be attracted to all genders, um, and I like w- like these encounters were specifically with people who identify as women, and um, uh, I I think that there's a lot of there's this complex relationship that I'm honestly still teasing through of like, I spent a lot of time in relationships with men. Like I was pretty much exclusively in relationships with cis men um, until I was 27 or so. And and then continue <laughs> because I right. like uh, am bisexual to date um, cis men. And there was um, a, I think, uh, there's a way that I get feminized when mm. I'm in relationship with um, cis men that I think is unconscious. Like, I don't think anyone intends to do it or even, like, um, it's just cis straight men specifically. Mm. Um, and so that, like, it's wrapped up in terms of, like, oh, do I, like, do you, is, is it a problem for me to like date a cis straight man? Not necessarily, but not if it impedes my ability to express and relate to my gender. And if I'm constantly being treated sexually and otherwise, like, um, 
uh, I'm a woman or being um, feminized in certain ways, then that becomes a problem. So it's like very, <laughs> it's very um, tied up. Uh, yeah. Tied up. Thank you. <laughs> That's the word I want. You're doing hand motions. gestures. <laughs> She's like a cat, or they're like a cat playing with a ball of yarn. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, that sounds like, I mean, and, and do you clock it? I wonder, like in the moment, are you like, nah, <laughs> or like, or is it invisible for you also until it's not? Um, probably the latter. I think that um, I've spent the last year um, not being in relationships with mm -hmm. um, cis straight men. Um, and so <laughs> I think that, uh, I don't have access to like a point of, um, understanding from where I'm at with my, um, understanding of my gender identity now, but I think like in the past, it's been like, I'm uncomfortable with this and I don't like this and that this isn't aligning with my desire and I don't have the words to express why, um, and all of that, like, being wrapped up with, like, is a trigger happening? I don't fucking, like, you know, <laughs> like, there's, like, <laughs> it could be a million things. And, like, mm -hmm. just find, you know, like, teasing through to to have that understanding with myself. I think it's not always something that comes up in the moment. It's like, oh, yeah. huh, that happened and that made me feel this way. And I wonder if it's related to this. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, like, I think what's weird is that during the last couple of years we've been as the kind of globally socially more distanced than ever before obviously <laughs> but I th it's it's interesting because you kind of bring up this idea of like sexual orientation or gender identity or like kind of socialization like how is that third part of mm. how we interact with others and how others interact with us kind of informing the other two things because like for instance I recently started going back to the gym after just training at home for the last couple of years. And I notice how much more kind of like weird body conscious I am and how uncomfortable I am like with the male gaze. Cause I haven't really been around mm. any, like anybody besides my partner and like the dog <laughs> for the past two years. And it's like, I don't think anybody's particularly doing anything weird or aggressive, but I'm so hypersensitive to it. And so socialized to kind of be mm. like, oh, I better look a certain way in order to kind of be accepted or, you know, like any, or compare and kind of compete, which is mm -hmm. a, it's so much energy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Affirmative. <Absolutely>. Affirmative. <laughs> um, so how, oh, you were going to say? Oh, no, no I mean, I, I, I could expound on that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, well, we were going to ask, like, how did it unfold from there? Like, how did the kind of... Um, like sexuality and messages of like, you know, around sex mm. kind of unfold and how did alcohol or drugs enter the picture? Like how did they intersect? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the one message that I will name off the bat that I didn't um, mention earlier is that like, I really truly thought that they like, um, because I was attracted to men that I could not be attracted to other genders. Mm. Um, like that was the message that I received. Like oh. I, I just, I didn't, um, uh, I had, um, 
older gay women around me and but like bisexuality was like not a concept um when I was I don't know why <laughs> when I was in um in high school and so it took me a long time to to uh I don't want to say come to terms but just like embody that or be with that mm. um in the evolution of it I think like I started drinking when I was in high school um I, like as I the phrase that I use in the salty article is like as a way of like inhabiting some version of cool that <laughs> was not really authentic to who I am sure. um <laughs> but shape. just like yeah you know just like uh like that's what people were doing and like again like to embody this version of like someone who was to be wanted was to like go to the party and like get drunk and be free <laughs> like um and I think there was there was a lot of that um through my 20s um and it just like continuing um with this like if I am like cool and chill <laughs> enough like were I to go back to that age, I would, like, never spend any time um, playing beer pong, <laughs> like, for any reason. <laughs> like, um, but I would, <laughs> like, right? Because, like, that's what, you know, the crush was doing or whatever. Um, and so I think it was, like, it was really intertwined. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> like, it was really intertwined with, like, the chase of people. Um, and... I it's hard. Um, I mentioned this to y'all. It's it's hard for me to talk about my evolution with alcohol and sexuality without um naming that um when I was 19, I was um sexually assaulted while like severely under the influence, like to the point of almost unconsciousness. And um, I didn't really come to terms with that um, for like another 10 years or so. Um, and I think the toll that that like took on my body was something that I am like still, or, or like the toll, the, the relationship between alcohol and um, sexuality and, like, consent mm -hmm. <laughs> have been, like, this thing that um, have, that I'm continually unpacking. And, like, uh, now I feel like I'm losing a thread. But, um, but, like, coming, even if I was having, like, I was having a lot of consensual encounters in my 20s, but I think, like, coming out of that period in my life, there's sort of, like, this question of, like, what does consent mean to me in the in the context of sobriety when I, like, really am truly, like, with all my whole fiber of my being, giving an affirmative yes with all my faculties mm -hmm. intact, like, has really, really, like, changed the... Um, the game for me in terms of like um, being able to name uh, name desire, say yes, I want this. This is what I want, um, uh, which 
because I think like under the influence too, like there was a, a lot of ways in which like I could be convinced that I wanted things that I didn't or um, I got messages like, oh, you are so much freer in bed mm. when you're drunk, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, like could into my ears was like synonymous with better. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, of course, I want to like be drunk, right? Like I want to be free. I want to be like what you want, do whatever. You, <laughs> yeah, what you yeah. want. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's not a linear journey, but uh, those are some of the things that I was like teasing out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you for being so vulnerable with this. And I mean, I I definitely don't think you're alone in that, that journey and the kind, and, you know, as somebody who's been sober for like, since I was 20, I also think that at least for me, it took a lot of distance to even see like where, while being a young sober person, (laughs) like, I'm not sure if that was consent because I was so disassociated, you know, like. And I think it can be so challenging to kind of like, as you say, tease all that stuff out because like there is an element of socialization and people pleasing. And like, I think uh, what's been coming up a lot on uh, in these conversations on sober sex is this idea of like a modern, and maybe it's not modern, maybe it's because, you know, as you know, <laughs> we're in our thirties, I guess <laughs> it's all like, it's all happening. But this idea of um, kind of reflecting of like, wait, how much like how much of that was actually authentic and 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 real and present as opposed to like how much of that was just wanting to be liked and wanting to mm-hmm. you know like yeah be liked or desired or adored as opposed to like what does what does my desire taste like and what does it feel like when mm-hmm. I'm actually present in it and how do I yeah. how do I cultivate it and name it and own it and express it like because that you know it's it's hard to do stone cold sober much less under the influence and maybe you know as you kind of name it's it can be freer and and more accessible under the influence because at least then the kind of fear of (laughs) you know um, communication isn't as high totally yeah it's interesting It, it brings up more about like the idea of like sex as a performative act as well like what you were saying about like oh you're freer when you're and and for me like that continued into sobriety too of this idea of like wanting to be something for the other person and I I I found that like you know and what's interesting is like I think my desire to be performative is rooted in sexual trauma too Mm. like I don't know that that's where it's rooted for you I didn't I misspoke but like for me it is rooted in that to some extent um and there's there's a part of me that has thought at times that that has something to do with a sort of regaining control or power back in that situation mm-hmm. of just sort of, but at the same time, like there, it, I don't know, I haven't, you know, again, quite hashed that out, but like, I do think I was thinking as we were talking just about the performative nature of that and how just wanting to be desired, wanting to be, um, you know, seen as this sexual being that really continued into early sobriety, but I just used different, you know, means to kind of go there and, that sexuality and sobriety is such a long kind of <laughs> journey because it's like it's like sexuality and authenticity for me because for me sobriety has to do with authenticity it's almost like synonymous in some ways and those two things can be so you know 
can migrate so far away from each other for me at least. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I I resonate with that so much. I think like I mean um I continue. I mean, I, I this is a this is a present tense thing. Like I continue to have that desire to like perform for other people. Yeah. And um uh to um be who they want. Um mm-hmm. and that's certainly um shown up in my bedroom <laughs> like in sobriety still. I think the difference for me um however like imperfectly and messy is that I can name it faster Mm -hmm. I can like I have more access to being like whoa (laughs) like is this what I want or is this what you want (laughs) do I like this or do I not like this can I oh do I have like I have the capacity to have that conversation with myself um in a way yeah totally get that same here yeah and I think something that came up on like a very early episode of the show with uh Antonia Crane, who's an author and also um, a sex worker and a stripper, was talking about kind of choosing, like, if we're going to perform, we can choose it intentionally and have a really good time with it Mm -hmm. and, like, play in that space as a creative and connective environment. But if it's without our intention or consent, then it can be super, like, disassociative and traumatizing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's, like, a of course, there's a version of performance that is like empowered, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. um, but, like and chosen, and it can be, but it can be hard, I think, to like learn to differentiate and not just get like sucked into that space in kind of a violent yeah, way right. or like a self betraying way. <laughs> it's like, where did I choose? I did not choose this. Um, I just did it. Now I feel weird. Um, <laughs> so, um, how like how did you kind of make the move to get sober? Like, how did that unfold? How did I get sober? Um, <laughs> so I had been drinking a lot in the pandemic. I was seeing someone, um, and we uh, lived on opposite sides the, of New York from one another. And we would, um, we like figured out a way to get to one another. We would like bike, <laughs> like to get to one another. Um, so we were safe on the weekends, and then get totally trashed, <laughs> um, which was fun and healthy. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, um, and I started noticing also like in the later days of graduating from school that I was drinking every night, um, like, like killing, uh, three quarters of a bottle of wine, um, or a couple glasses of whiskey, um, which for me, like, it was just the, it wasn't necessarily the amount. It was just like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, what is my, Mm -hmm. like, what makes me feel like I need, um, to go to sleep with this every day? Um, and like, why is, you know, I, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It made sense why, (laughs) like anyone was getting, um, blasted, but like, um, (laughs) also, yeah, like what, like, was it something that I wanted? And so I cut down, um, And again, for me, it was about examining the relationship and being like, I don't think I have a healthy relationship with this thing. Like, I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think I, I don't think I have control over it (laughs) and I don't think I have a healthy relationship with it. So I cut down, I was like, I'm only gonna, I'll only drink on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And um, that was like some sort of like way of just like trying to control my behavior in some way without like really support or cognition around what what I was doing. 
And then um, my relationship ended. And the day, the morning after my relationship ended, I was talking to a friend on the phone and I was like, I don't want to do this the way that I always do this. And the way that I always do this, like breakups, <laughs> is I, um, and we're in the middle of the pandemic, so harder to do this actively, but um, I get drunk and I go in search for validation, <laughs> which is someone to <laughs> affirm that I am like desirable and <laughs> like, um, and I was like, we're not doing it that way. Um, so I gave myself a week to use alcohol to numb my feelings <laughs> and then I quit. Um, wow. and I, in the first month read, um, somewhat ironically for the title, um, Holly Whitaker's quit like a woman. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which is like where I get, like where I got some of the concepts that I talk about in the salty article of like, um, you know, women wearing, uh, uh, women being marketed alcohol, like mm -hmm. a power suit. Um, but that like gave me a lot of tools, uh, in, like just in that um, book to like things that I might do or might try because the whole conceit of that book is that um, Holly got sober without AA and was like really resistant mm. to AA for a number of reasons. Um, and I wasn't like consciously, like I'm not, I just didn't, to be honest, like I just didn't really identify as an alcoholic mm -hmm. and I was just like, I'm just quitting drinking. <laughs> like, and then, um, I needed support and my sister is three years sober. So I called my sister one night and was like, I don't know, like I need a meeting. Like I, I actually can't do this alone. And my sister was like, sure, like here are resources. And also, um, do you want to try this? <laughs> Which is how I found the other, um, the other recovery program that I'm in. Um, and around that time, I also was like, like one of the things Holly says in the book is like a lot about like yoga and meditation and like all of these things that are beautiful to do when we have the time and access and money. And, um, I, I was like, no, just I'll start meditating. Um, and I could not meditate. Um, but I found breath work. I found a breath work studio. Um, and I started doing breath work, like uh, almost every day, um, for several months. And, um, that I cry, like, uh, m like I should also say that like after that relationship ended, like my life, like, like so many things about my life, like truly combusted. <laughs> like it was, um, it was like two days after I got sober, like I started the, the long thing where I like lost my job and like, um, so I was going through all of this and I was just a fucking mess and I was feeling all of it and I like all I could do like most days <laughs> was just like go to a breathwork class and like maybe try <laughs> to like feel and like be in recovery and like maybe try to like feel my way through this literally breathe um, <laughs> like, like literally breathe yeah yeah and, and now I like yeah um breathwork is still really important to me I teach now and um wow. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the story of like getting into it for me. Amazing.
Amazing. Like, truly. And also to kind of be on the other side in such a different space than it sounds like this journey, this part of the journey started in. It's, a, it's awesome to, to behold you before us today. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Absolutely. I mean, messy, messy shit has continued to happen, but like, <laughs> yeah, I do feel, you know, there are tools. I have tools that I didn't have before. Like my tool was like running drinking. and drinking. <laughs> Validation mission. <laughs> Validation mission. <laughs> Three, complete. <laughs> check, check, check. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, so like... In your recovery, I mean, it sounds like breath work is probably a big part of this, but how did your relationship with your body, like either sexually or as a performer or globally, like whatever, how has that evolved? Um, that's a great question and one that continues um, to evolve as I um, experience my body in relationship to my gender. Um I think the thing that is coming to me right now is like I, I, um, I again with desirability and performance of womanhood, uh, like big theme, and uh, along with that was like I have to be thin, um, gotta be thin, gotta look like this, <laughs> um, along with all those messages, um, and so there was a, a you know various permutations of eating disorders and like. Um, you know, like in, in early 20s, like going for a six mile run, eating hummus and then like going out to a bar. Like, <laughs> and um, like, uh, I think what is changed and evolved is over time, like not necessarily like I got sober and then this happened, but like um, a, a love of my body and a practicing mm-hmm. a love of my body, like a, um, actual like, <laughs> high up practices where I sit down and say to myself, like, I love you, body. Body, I love you. I love you, self. Self, I love oh. you. Um, and uh, I have gotten to the point where on most days, I believe that. <laughs> um, on most days. That's fucking huge, though, you know? And, like, yeah. That is a yeah, and accomplishment. I, amazing. I, totally. And I believe you when you say it, too, you know, which I think is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And I feel, honestly, like I feel um, sexier and more in my body than I've ever felt um, in my life. And that is, like, I think I, like, all, and all of the, the striving for, like, looking way, way different than I, I look now. And, like, um, this is, like, this is, uh, um, I don't want to say where I feel most comfortable, but like um, I think in in terms of a threshold of where I've been in my life, like um, I'm definitely like finding a form of love I've never felt before. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Awesome. (laughs) I feel like warm and fuzzy. I'm like, this is amazing. I know. Um, And so, and how has recovery informed your creative process, would you say? Um, yeah, so (laughs) I, I think the big thing for me is like recovery for me in, in some way, um, has been a journey of, um, it's like recovering. It's more than 
addiction. It's like recovering from self-hatred, which was driving addiction. Mm. Mm. Um, And that directly weaves into my creative and artistic practice. So being practicing, I'm, I am not, (laughs) I am not great at this all the time, but like practicing letting go of perfectionism um, has been a really big theme of the last year, which is really related to recovery. Um, Practicing not beating myself up if it's not perfect, if I don't use exactly the right language. Um, As a writer, uh, I'm very, um, I, I am like, will sit down and if I can't find the words that I want for something or if like the right words that don't come out of my mouth, um, I'm like, my inner critic becomes terrible (laughs) and um, paralyzingly terrible. Um, And a lot of, a lot of recovery has been reckoning with that, of being, of learning how to talk to the inner critic of learning how to talk to my um, inner children who feel like rejected and like um, <laughs> like terrorized, you know, <laughs> terrorized, um, and like have conversations with them um, when they are acting out <laughs> when I'm um, in my creative practice um, or like listening. And this is a big thing for me. Like I used to because my my inner critic, like most people's, is a absolute terror asshole like and I had so many moments um especially before I got sober where I would yell I would yell at them I'd be like why are you trying to kill me like literally why 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 (laughs) and um and and I think I it's been a bit of a practice of of thanking them Mm -hmm. um, for like one of the things that recovery has taught me is that all my survival mechanisms are survival mechanisms that I had to use in order to stay safe. And those have served me well over the course of my life. And if I don't, I can let go. I can let go Mm -hmm. of, um, of that. And so I can thank um, this this inner voice that's telling Mm -hmm. me, um, that I'm not enough, uh, and that I have to work harder and that I'm not this and I'm not that Mm -hmm. for, um, the purpose that they've served in my life Mm -hmm. and, um, invite them to, to gently let me live. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing. May I live? (laughs) Uh, Um, so that's, that's, that really resonates. Um, yeah. We discuss the notion of a sex ideal on sober mm. sex or who we want to show up as or like grow towards being in our sexual or romantic relationship. So what is your sex ideal today? Oh, um, I'm taking a, m- a moment with that. I hope that's okay. We love that. We love the like <laughs> contemplative pauses. It's our favorite part of the show. <laughs> Is that in terms of like equality or like an ideal as in like a person? <laughs> like who who do you want to be or who do you want to show up as? And it can be like qualities that you that you hope to cultivate, or it can be like 
this is the kind of person I want to be. I mean, I guess that's kind of the same. <laughs> Both and. Um, I will say in terms of qualities, like um, open, connected, communicative, always. Mm. Um, uh, embodied in my yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in touch with my desire. Um, I want to name that uh, my uh, friend and mentor, Orion S. Johnstone, um, runs these um, healing groups called Whole Sex, um, which I was a part of over the last year, which have been really instrumental in uh, shifting um, my relationship to sexuality and desire. Um, and uh, the groups for this year, I don't know if registration will be open. Um, before this podcast runs, but um, are opening up soon. And I highly recommend them. And I think what Orion um, teaches in terms of um, connection to um, communication uh, and desire is always, like, is somewhat of a sexual ideal. Um, And... I will also name that Sonia Renee Taylor, um, who wrote The Body Is Not an Apology, um, who's absolute force. I think that level of <laughs> radical self-love <laughs> is um is integral to the kind of um uh the kind of sexual embodiment that is my ideal. Mm. Thank you so much for those resources. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um well, so last question we have before we go into the lightning round is um, that you talk about liberation work in your bio, which is a subject that's very dear to us. So how do you feel like sobriety is liberation work? <laughs> and then the note yes. is, this is a leading question. question. <laughs> it is. I'll affirm. It is. <laughs> um, uh, there, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like, again, riffing on how do we feel our, how do we feel like what liberation feels like to us? Because no one can tell us what liberation feels like. I think that's what I, um, like no one can present to us a picture of like, this is what a liberated self mm-hmm. is here. You have it. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this. It's a reaction to this. Like, no, <laughs> like I mean, it, it, like in my in my um, conception of it, um, <laughs> I, I, I clearly have no opinion. Um, it 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 is like what it feels like to you, and I think um, uh, a prayer that I've been um, offering to myself. I wrote this like last week and it's just been like very alive in my body of um, may I not confuse my truth for my trauma. Um, And I think that um, the, like the liberation in that is like, do, can I continue to like dig through um, my trauma and heal from my trauma so that my truth becomes ever more present in every moment of my life. And Mm. I think the relationship with sobriety is um, that is, uh, in a lot of ways, um, made possible through sobriety. Mm-hmm. 
not like, not that we all have to not drink alcohol to achieve liberation, but that like that sort of deep conversation with self um, and that healing work, um, at, like I think is um, is liberation work. Uh, in a lot of ways. Ooh, that's so beautiful. Love that. <laughs> and I love that you posed the question of like, what does like liberation feel like for me? Like, what is that embodied quality? Because <laughs> as you were saying that, I'm like, spicy. Which is like, that's the, okay, body. Like whatever yeah. you say, totally down. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What a what a beautiful way to, to wind down the conversation. Um, so lightning. Um, what is a book you have loved recently? That is um a really great question. I'm gonna go with the one that is um below my bike stand, which I really love, which is Wayward Lives and Beautiful Experiments. Um by Studia Hartman. Awesome. Uh yeah, awesome. which is um History, fantastic. Wayward Lives Wonderful. and Beautiful Experiment? Mm-hmm. Okay. Noted. And um, what turns you on? Um, sexually or in general? Any, or any way at all that you want to take it, yeah. Oh, the first word that came to my mind is touch. I just touch, mm. like sensual, sensual touch. <laughs> um, and uh, what turns me on in the war, like in in the day to day, is just like feeling connected and um, uh, uh, and alive um, in uh, getting to be full and free, and whoever. Um, uh, and as f- fluid as I can be in that moment. <laughs> that, awesome. Um, yeah. And helping others do the same. That turns me on. Yeah. Love uh, that. If you could be any animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I so for, for so long said a dolphin, and I have no idea why. Um, and in this moment, what's coming to me is either at – owl or a great blue heron which Ooh. is what um uh, i have one tattooed on my back and to me that the herons are just like an exquisite um bird who embody uh grace love that oh yeah so i think they're love really that. good spiritual guides like they're good totems um yeah and owls love owls you love oh, you love. Wait, oh, what do you love what do i love also take what that any way you want. Yeah. Um, what do I love? I love running. Um, I love breathing. I love writing. I love um, spending time with friends. Um, I love scented candles. Um, mm. I love um, the feeling of cuddling in my bed on a Sunday morning under my weighted blanket. Um, I love... Peppermint tea. <laughs> um, the sacred and I mundane. Say, I know. <laughs> the sacred and mundane. Um, I love deep, rich conversations um, that are full of nuance, that were like, and like messiness and have more questions than answers. Mm. 
<laughs> so you're saying you love summer sex? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so fun. That's my plug for your podcast. Hey. <laughs> I love when our guests give us a really long list of what they love, just because like each one for me is like it's like a, a reverse Jenga of like how much I'm like just ecstatic right now. <laughs> um, what is your morning routine? Mm, yeah. Um, it's, I've been through so many different permutations of this morning routine right now. Um, I wake up, I do a somatic centering or I wake up, I make breakfast (laughs) and coffee. I feed my cat. Um, I do a somatic centering practice and then I write down with a, I have an accountability writers group and I, um, I try and uh, work my book for two hours before I do other things in the morning. Fuck yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, last question. Where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah. Uh, com is where I live on the internet. Um, my Instagram handle is uh, at Emily with an underscore N. Um, and I also sometimes post poetry on uh, Love Notes for Liberation. Ooh. Wonderful. You're just an absolute treat. Thank you so much for your Thank energy you and your so light today. Much. What a joy. <laughs> Oh, thank you, you so amazing. much. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for reaching yeah. out. I'm so happy oh, that you answered great. my like cold call DM. I was so happy that you were a person and not someone trying to sell me followers. This is what I usually get when I check my requests. <laughs> no, next time. I can't promise anything. <laughs> and then they just have like money emoji, money emoji, money emoji. Money emoji.